0: You are listening to the award-winning Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is Noah Festenstein talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. From baseball, football, hockey, soccer, basketball, mixed martial arts, I got it all. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the madness. There's so many different angles. Of this Brittany Griner story that has built the bridge between sports and politics. The White Sox, what is their will to win? Like. So hold your hats, Chicago. This is another team that is in the vicinity of success. Festenstein, talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. So, welcome into the 234th edition, all the way from Harper College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. And always online on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Back here for. The August 8th edition. Isn't that right? In the smack dab middle of summer. So let's get right to it. Great to be back here tonight. Talking the beautiful world of sports. And there's some hot topics going on around the world right now, not just in sports, but what has influenced from sports and individuals in which I kind of want to highlight in today's episode. Something that I haven't talked about, really, I, I've made mention of it, and I've made some quick opinions about it, but I really do want to analyze this Brittany Griner situation. And Brittany Griner, uh, in middle of February, goes to Russia for off season competition from the WNBA with a gram of hash oil and has been detained and has now been sentenced to nine years in prison pending further retaliations against the defendants and a potential prisoner swap between the United States and Russia. So that's kind of where we're at with that situation and uh, I'm here to talk about it. I want to try to provide a middle ground because there's a lot of, she should come back, she shouldn't come back, she has criticized America, all this stuff, and I'm here to kind of talk about it, really see it from an angle at which we can all see why this uh, story is important, not just from a sports standpoint, but from a political standpoint. Then I'm gonna talk some WNBA basketball while I'm at it in the first segment, cause uh, Chicago Sky is the best thing that's happening in Chicago sports. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to talk Blackhawks, Bulls. It, you know, that's impending. That's gonna be worth talking about maybe at some point in this episode. Um, but this the Chicago Fire. I'm te- uh, not Fire. I'll get to that in a second. The Chicago Sky team deserves attention. And so does this, the this, this Chicago Fire. So uh, I'm also going to talk about that in my third segment. So might as well just spoil that before I talk about what I want to talk about in my second segment. But I'm going to talk some baseball after WNBA and Brittany Griner uh, talk about what happened at the trade deadline. The Cubs uh, making no significant moves besides uh, trading away Robertson as a pitcher. Um, that's it. Everyone was expecting Contreras and had to make do make part like how it was last year with all the other superstars that left. But no, that did not happen this year. So uh, I'll talk about that in the second segment, along with some White Sox and updated power rankings in the MLB. Then I want to get into some of that Chicago Fire talk, talk some soccer, talk some Premier League that's about to start. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be great for the a nice short soccer segment. And at the end of it all, might get into some UFC, talk some uh, Blackhawks, of course, talk some possible Bulls. But everything's kind of up in the air with how it, everything's going. I'm recording this throughout the weekend, so I hear kind of takeaways from certain games, certain things that happen in the moment. So this is a very nice uh, start to um, kind of the new system Monday Man Sports Talk is following. And every other week, trying to make do with my scheduling for writing for the newspaper and uh, kind of uh, doing what I got to do to keep my journalism juice, ju- the journalism juice is running, you may say. But with all that said and done, we shall go into the 234th edition of Monday Mana Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining me tonight here on August 8th, 2022. See ya in literally a second. Welcome back to the madness here on August 8th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. Here on the 234th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. This was this feeling from Afrojack and Disco, the remix of the greatest Chainsmokers song of all time. In my opinion, there's a lot of good ones, but uh, I'm sure this is going to be a good segment here uh, to start off the show. Being that it's kind of hot news. I think this transcends really sports as a whole as sports kind of like in its societal patterns that we've kind of like noticed having influence how, you know, the world thinks, how the world operates. And no better story in sports right now, and it really has gone to the point where it's really not sports at all, is the Brittany Griner story. And I'm here to talk about it this segment and alongside other WNBA news because I think it's hot. It's getting towards the end of the season. So I'm going to throw some of that in as well because uh, the Chicago Sky is doing phenomenal. They're, of course, defending in a WNBA championship. So I kind of want to give them the the attention they deserve. And kind of maintaining that dominance and, and, and staying with it the entire season they just seem like they were kind of coming into the playoffs from last season. So uh, big, big story in, in Brittany Griner that I was kind of just been on the top of my mind up until this show. So I want to just be able to get that loose and kind of take it from all angles here because there's so many of them. There's so many different angles of this Brittany Griner story that really has built the bridge between sports and politics. And this could have not been the most perfect example of it. And I've always mentioned on my new man of sports talk throughout it since history that I try my best to not make sports with politics, but these are the kinds of stories that really do that. And I have no problem with that because there, this is a groundbreaking story that not only has high government officials involved, but people's lives at stake, not just Brittany Griner's, but everyone who has been detained in other countries has been, you know, imprisoned imprisoned for uh, breaking laws that Brittany Griner broke after being caught with that one gram of hash oil. You know, there's, literally people in prison for the same exact thing in the United States, where now it is, in most states, just a a misdemeanor with just that possession. So it's like, in our culture nowadays, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you look at Russia or other countries that have really, really, really strict drug laws, some countries will actually penalize the death penalty to someone for having possession of marijuana i, I i've seen stories like that and you're talking about people you know going to russia it's not like willy-nilly oh because i can smoke here in the united states because of what i do for a living my body needs to relax my muscles etc but that's that type of culture isn't expected in, or is it accepted in another country so it's something that overall affects cultures. It affects different beliefs. Now, politically, you know, other people's lives are at stake with prisoner swaps, and it's in, it's raised the issue. You can't you can't say that about Brittany Griner, that it hasn't raised an issue, being that now there's other prisoners around the world that should be in front of the line to be— prison swapped or taken back home here to the United States. And I think that's something we should appreciate about this Brittany Griner story is not the fact that she, you know, some people, most of the people think that she should just stay in Russia and fulfill that nine year prison sentence. Some people say that, you know, she should come back and some people just don't even know that this is happening. Yeah, I, I, some people I've asked say, hey, do you know the Britney Griner story? And they're like, no, I haven't heard of it. Well, now you do. Because it is a groundbreaking story. It doesn't just affect WNBA. It doesn't affect sports. It affects, really, how we treat other cultures and how we deal with things on the political spectrum internationally. And that's something that we should kind of keep in mind when paying attention to what's happening with Brittany Griner. Um... You know, I, I've i laid out the facts. I haven't laid out any opinions of it. Uh, I I really do want her back home, but I also want other people like veterans, like people who have been caught with things that we treat as misdemeanors here in the United States out in other countries that will literally imprison you for 20 years. Like there's other people that are United States citizens that have been prisoned for years, years upon years for this kind of stuff. And Bernie Griner clearly, clearly, clearly broke a law in Russia. So there's a lot to take away from that as a whole. There's a lot of, to take away from how our government is taking care of the situation with, okay, now we have been re, um, reminded that this is an issue with U.S. citizens being imprisoned in other countries. Oh, you know what? Let's you know use this Bernie Griner situation as well. like Okay, yeah, we care now. But you look at Russia's stance, they're literally using Brittany Griner as a pawn in this whatever plan that they have. And that's the most scary part about it, in my opinion. And I think my heart goes out to Griner in jail. I, I know that this is what she didn't want. I know that this isn't... You know, she's quoted saying that you know she had no intent of causing harm upon any citizen in Russia or anything of that nature. It's just... Like, there's that line that she crossed in Russian culture that can't, I guess they use that as an excuse to use her now as a pawn. That's a possibility, and that's the scariest thought about it to me in what they can do for the situation. And now, this would prompt the United States to prison swap with one of the most lethal and notorious... Drug lords in Russia, or drug dealers, or whatever you might call it. Um, what's his name? Victor something. I'm looking it up. That's why I'm like... Victor Victor Bout. That's the name. Uh, unless I'm not supposed to say it like I'm not supposed to say Voldemort, or else he might come try to deal me drugs. I don't know. I hope he doesn't. Um, but I don't know. Like, Why does this situation have to prompt Brittany Griner... And the United States to be like, okay, now it's time to do a prisoner swap because like this hasn't been dealt dealt with. Now it's a issue where people are being like, okay, now we're pushing it upon the government to do a prisoner swap. It's a very tight issue. So this is kind of the best middle ground I can give you with that. You know, there's definitely ways of saying, yeah, Brittany Griner should serve that nine-year prison sentence. And it's not fair, but it's definitely not fair about uh, a lot of other people that have been there for years. And then there's this also saying that, you know, since then and since the United States laws have sort of died down on marijuana, like, they should feel obligated to maybe get one of their citizens back. But then people are like, well, she's not a citizen if she talks against her own country. She's a citizen nonetheless. She's lived here for her entire life. But overall, I do sincerely deep down believe that Brittany Griner should be sent back. And I do believe that the sentence put on her of nine years is very unfair, but goes back to the point of, yeah, she might have just been... She might have have just been a pawn in all this and and what Russia wants out of this. Maybe they do think that it could be a big issue here enough for the United States to be willing to do a prisoner swap or anything like that. It's so complicated. And at the same time, though, I do believe that she is guilty of what she did. Like, you went into another country with a foreign substance, and they have these laws put in place. People are even here in the United States in prison 20 years for having a small amount of marijuana or whatever. And still, we'll get charged for it. And that's the unfortunate nature of, of these laws. And obviously, there's really no intent, especially by Brittany Griner knowing her character beyond what she has said about her own country, that, yeah, she, there's really no ill intent. She's not guilty. Like she, It was just not a smart decision of doing what she did. And uh, unfortunately, she's going to have to pay the price for it, maybe. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for her family. It breaks my heart for uh, her teammates and her friends back at home and her own self. And it's she's realizing the hard way that, yeah, Maybe the freedoms that she did have in the United States was definitely um, more valuable than what she's having now And understanding how important her life was uh, in her own country instead of, of course, making it look bad through your own platform. Uh, And even that, the WNBA platform... Is getting bigger. It's it, it, uh, I think through this situation, it's the WNBA has received more attention. But you don't. This is not the type of attention you want. Like the atten- I think the biggest story out of it. You think about it, is what we've talked about before many times, uh, many times over and over again. Is the differential of pay between WNBA athletes. NBA athletes and all other sports athletes, and MLB and other sports, and you even talk about uh, UWSL, the women's soccer league, uh, and all this. Like they, they they get paid so little during the season that they feel like you know their own sport is their own natural profession that they have to play year round to not even make half of what a normal male professional player makes in a season. So, you got to ask yourself, like, this would have never happened with Brittany Griner if there would have been better pay, and she wouldn't have to feel like she'd have to go halfway around the world just to play basketball. And yeah, I know she's got a big appreciation for her Russian teammates and feels bad that she wasn't there for the season, but at the same time, it's affecting everyone. So, she has a respect for the league she plays in in Russia. But... It's to the point where the WNBA has to also look at themselves and be like, okay, or at least not the WNBA as an organization. I think everyone as a whole should appreciate the WNBA more and what these athletes have to go through in order to make ends meet at some point. Because it's not easy. You're, you're, you're straining your body to perform extreme athletic abilities. This is what sports are about. And you're doing this for only thousands or hundreds of thousands or maybe just nearly millions of dollars. Some players making millions, but not most. Um. And yeah, it's... The differentiation, though, is what's at stake. Um, and I think it's really what it comes down to is the lack of fan base. And the lack of maybe respect for the sport and what people say is not fun to watch in WNBA basketball. Uh, but let me tell you this: Can you live up or play up to the standards that most? And M- I would just even just say all WNBA players have. I am sure all stars in college or some per se all stars or even stars in the NBA. Or G League might not even match up with a Candace Parker or, or anybody else in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, the physical differential with the dunking and everything like, there is that nature of like under the board play that it's entertaining when that's aggressive, and it is, but that's just a different style of play in women's basketball. I even say in college women's basketball, I think about what they do what UConn did. Um think about right now Sabrina and what she's doing and the amount of I mean, you know, Kobe Bryant, heck, he said that this girl is gonna be a one of a kind athlete and she's already proven that. Like just that's sentimental as is. So it, it's it's really, really nice to kind of get back into this scheme of Yeah, no, we're not in basketball season, but we're also in WNBA season. And that's something that's fun to think about. And then once we start crawling into uh, NBA basketball, you got WNBA playoffs. And now, here in Chicago, we have a chance again for a championship, a back-to-back championship for the Chicago Sky. And I think that is very, very possible. I think it's very, very likely that uh, they will make the playoffs. I mean, I'm sure that they're already in it, but Make it far. I think the Las Vegas Aces is, is the biggest challenge, at least with the they they lost the Presidential Cup to them. That was the most recent uh, occurrence. But um, this NBA WNBA playoffs is also weird too. Uh, the bracket is um, just not where it needs to be. But yeah, you know, as I mentioned, Candace Parker and and what she's done and the milestones that she's reaching. It's something that. Uh, in women's sports is now being recognized because now there's been a history of the WNBA and records that can now be broken and be appreciated Uh, and that's something that I think Candace Parker who was born in Chicago uh, is something that as a city can appreciate her playing for her her own hometown so um, that's awesome and then it Overall, I you know with all this unfortunate news that's, that's happening with Brittney Griner and stuff, um, like I hate for this all to be the attention that the WNBA gets because of somebody else's breaking of the law, and that's I'm gonna say this for NFL too, like the Bears even is this is crazy to think about how many Chicago Bears have been arrested. And now our attention has been turned back to the Bears. Our attention has been turned back to other athletes who, um, break the law and, and, you know, they are influencers. They, you know, people do see them as a role model, as someone who represents themselves highly. And when this stuff happens, when, you know, you go to Russia and you get caught with the substance, like it puts a rap, bad rap on, on, on an athlete that doesn't deserve it. And I think that Brennany Griner is one of those athletes, but she has, of course, talked down on her country. She's used her platform to, you know, be a part of reform in, in 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 outspoken ways. It and people are gonna use that against her. But at the same at the end of the day, she's a United States citizen And that's kind of like what I'm concluding at. And um, there's a lot of other citizens that are out there in prisons for stuff that they have maybe no control of or whatnot that needs to be released as well. So this Brady Graner situation has really brought back up that topic in a good way. So we got to appreciate it from that angle and we got to understand the significance of what's at stake because um, this is at the end of the day, respecting one another and doing the best we can to make the world a better place. But heck, that is you know cheesy is all heck, but it's true. And you know, try to do it through the podcast, through sports. But sometimes this bridge between sports and real life is built, and that is what's going to happen. We have to come to realization like, okay, like, you know, as much as I don't know about WNBA basketball, heck, I don't know who this person is, just a, a Joe Schmo that went out to Russia with a gram of hash oil, uh, like should be in prison for nine years. That's a stupid mistake. Well, that's a problem throughout the world. And, uh, you know. I'm not going to be surprised One way or another What happens with the British Grinder situation Let's just see how it unfolds And goes on But I wanted to make that A big topic today Because yeah This world is a crappy place sometimes But you gotta You gotta really understand What's best for the people That are around you And yourself as a whole uh, Making sure that What you do Also Impacts the people around you Nonetheless yourself And I think that's a good takeaway from the situation, given everything that has happened. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're gonna have to move on from it. But all in all, since we're on the topic, let's talk WNBA basketball, just because it's the only good thing that's happening in Chicago. I already mentioned about um, the Chicago Sky, but uh, I was actually talking about him yesterday. And then today, I just received news that they just reached twenty five wins mark, which is the most amount of wins in a singular Chicago Sky franchise season, which is pretty incredible when you think about. You know how much this team has really been through. I mean, you just haven't seen it until really when they started their success last year in that championship run and they are more than capable of of doing that again this year. I think their chances are more than likely. If anything, I, we need to see a Las Vegas Aces Chicago Sky Championship. I, that's something we missed last year. I think the Phoenix Mercury wasn't the, the right fit for the Chicago Sky in terms of a full-on entertaining WNBA championship. I think uh, last year... This guy almost played the Aces, but the Aces almost lost, Almost won. But it's the damn WNBA playoff bracket. Like it, It's nothing like you've ever seen. It's like single-game eliminations, then all of a sudden two out of three championships, then two, three out of five. I, I like the four out of seven, and that's something that we're all accustomed to in the NBA and NHL playoffs. And then, of course, the National League Championship, American League Championship Series, and then the World Series, you know, you're accustomed to those seven-game series, but uh, when you watch that in WNBA basketball, it's, it's different. Also, because the WNBA season is 50 percent less than what a regular NBA season is, uh, and that's something that was like, oh yeah, 25 wins, the most wins ever in a Chicago Sky season. That's really the most amount of wins they have. Well, yeah, it's because they barely play, um, and I think that really does account for the differentiation of, of income between WNBA players and other players that play twice or three times or even four times as much as they do. Uh, you think about why soccer players get paid so much. Well, it's because they they play all year round, at least for 80% of the year. And then you think about how many times of, I mean, football is different. Football is one of the biggest Markets in sports, not only in the United States, but in the world. So 16 or 17 games, that's still going to make a certain player millions of dollars. But even if you think about it, football players is, I think, what, top three or top four? Not like first or second players that get paid the most. I mean, the players that get paid the most is quarterbacks and running backs and then some defensive, like prominent defenseman linemen or tackles. But at the same time, while I'm on the subject, think about the biggest contracts in NFL history. You know, you think about baseball, you got $300, $400 million contracts, and some, you know, the best you'll get in in football, NFL, is the same amount of years, but only $100, $150 million. So, and then you think about WNBA contracts, it's, it's the average. Let's 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 fact check this. The average WNBA pay um salary per se in the 2020-2021 season, the average WNBA salary was one hundred and twenty thousand six hundred and forty eight dollars, and that was according to Yahoo Finance. Um, interesting. There's there's only fourteen players making two hundred thousand dollars or more. That's laughable, and it's, I mean at at the same time, you think about it this way. I mean, you're, I think, considering all implications, you're away from, you know, your family a lot, you're on the road a lot, you're playing, you're prone to injury, and injuries could make a big dividend. And how much money you can make, there's even that. Like, the coverage for that isn't like what it is for NBA. You know, sometimes, like, a, an ACL tear is a scratch or a two in terms of... Hospital bills, but you think about WNBA um, security in that, and and other sports that you know don't generate as much income. And I think about even that for the X Games and stuff like that. Like you're you're literally ousting yourself in practice to break an ankle or or whatever. Like you know those guys don't get paid; only they get paid per the event that they compete in. So you think about that. And you think about the amount of money, the differentiation of professionals, a professional athlete makes, it it becomes that issue. So I thought since we're on the topic, I think overall salaries and comparing and contrasting makes a big difference because that really, at the end of the day, was what brought Brittany Griner to Russia. It's because of the salary that she could not make in the United States that she felt like she had to leave her wife in the United States to go play in Russia. And it's kind of sad. Like, she, fe- like if she was making at least $500,000, I am sure that Brittany Griner was not going to go, feel like she has to go play overseas. And this whole situation would have never happened. But at the end of the day, this is the world we're living in, and we want to see some sort of justice against what's overseas or what's happening here in the United States. Uh, and... But, yeah, I think overall, though, it's nice to see a Chicago Sky team competing here and being one of the better teams in Chicago. People are more focused on the Blackhawks. And look at the Blackhawks. Like, they're just laughable at this point. They're going to be consistently bad for over the next two or three years unless something miraculous happens. Um, And then you look at the Bulls. Yeah, it's nice to look forward to that. But as of right now, the White Sox and Cubs, it's just stagnation. And I'm going to talk about it. I think I think I think this is the good segue to baseball because you know what Cubs and White Sox are in a stagnation point and both are in different situations with the Cubs not being good and not in a playoff spot but the White Sox as of Sunday after they went against the Rangers they're two games out of the the division lead after all of this after all these terrible and I don't know questions behind their 500 record practically at this point of the season when they were should have been well ahead of the division is another story within itself and I'm going to tell it here next segment on the 234th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk thank you so much for sticking around we're a third of the way there so let's keep it going here we'll be right back Welcome back to The Madness here on August 8th, talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond, reaching now the baseball segment, thanks to bringing me in here is classic The Knox, Sephora Remix. There is uh, some takeaways from the past couple weeks in the world of baseball, and in all has to do with what happened at the trade deadline. It's it's really no joke that there was just a stagnation of moves from both Chicago teams, and it's just such a difference from what it was like last year, especially in the North Side. You you are like expecting these guys to leave in Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. And then when it happens, you're like in awe, you're in shock. All of these guys are gone. But now this year, we're in awe and shock that Contreras and Happ are still on the team. That's the fan base's take for you. It's crazy. And I, I've i been aching to say this for a while because, you know, you never really know until it happens. You don't know if this trade's going to go down until it becomes official or, of course, pending a physical, what whatever. But with Contreras and Happ, it's just different. You're like, yeah, we, we, you know, we know that this front office wants to trade these guys for future pieces, especially being that they are free agents, just like last year's situation with Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez. And what happened with this Cubs team was very simple. It was trying to find an offer but have higher standards and value for the players that they are trading because to me it sounds like they were trying to trade Contreras and Hap as a package deal in which they can get maybe like four or five prospects out of it for two players that contracts expire at the end of the season and most notably those teams are in the talks with the Rays I think the Yankees were in that mix, but most certainly the Padres were in that mix as well. They could be look, they could have looked for a catcher. But instead, I mean, I, I I still think the Padres won the trade deadline with what happened with uh Juan Soto, Bra- uh, Brandon Drury, and Josh Bell. All those guys. And then you add Josh Hader as a closer. Um it's just the whole package for the Padres. They, they didn't even need Contreras. They already traded away pieces that they would have traded for if it was for the Happ-Contreras deal. And being that said, I think Jed Hoyer asked for a lot. That just seems like what it came down to was them wanting to trade Contreras and Happ, but just a deal just not coming through. Now, um, everyone was anticipating it, including you know journalists around Chicago. Uh, you know there was people who were saying and posting articles that oh yeah he's gonna get traded this is his last Cubs game everyone was cheering on Contreras and then Hap uh, at the Cubs game at as their supposed uh, quote unquote last at bats as a Cub like they because that's they what's weird was we look at the last season right when those three big guys especially Rizzo got traded that like you would think you're in you're in such denial that this could be their last Cubs game, yet we knew that it was possible, but we didn't treat it like it was like this year with Contreras and Hat. Like, there's a difference of the ways we treated these players as a fan base compared to Rizzo, O'Brien's and Baez. I feel like the fan base really took in the moment in the last potential moments, if you may say, with what happened with Contreras. Everyone was wanting to you know take advantage of that. It's just weird. It's a it was a weird time at the trade deadline. And um another angle we could look at it and what people are saying is that well, first of all the journalists like you know they, they they reported on it being their last game and it wasn't. And then secondly another angle you got the ownership literally teasing trading contraris and how and as one of the most gruesome and heartless parts of the business of baseball in any professional sport is the trade market and it's you know you know your contract's coming up you know that this could be your final moments as a cub and you're playing like it like your your stats might not represent who you are and you're not really in the zone or in your own character because in the back of your mind you're thinking to yourself I could be putting on a different uniform in 24 hours so you gotta as a player that affects your psyche and with Contreras it really affected him the most and I just um, seeing people cover Contreras I think was made made to believe that he was indeed getting traded same thing was going with hat like you know these are guys that are really big to the organization and have the potential to becoming big again with the organization with the next great big cubs team that could happen in three to four years you never know you never know until it happens and that's why this trade deadline was very interesting now was it unfair that Contreras was treated the way he was um a little bit but you know what like you're being paid millions of dollars to play the game that you love and you're playing it with your heart out, but you know, you, you're you getting paid millions just because you're a part of the league. This is what the league does. This is the nature of the business. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. Those Cubs fans that say Contreras is treated wrong. Yeah. I don't like it either. I really don't. Uh, I, I, I think that's just a gruesome part of the business, but it, it's, it's a part of the business nonetheless. And, That's what you get paid millions of dollars for, is to play not just for your specific team, of course, but for Major League Baseball. You're representing the game. You're representing it on the highest professional level. So, and when you've played for a team for so long and you become more attached and intimate with them, it, yes, becomes a bit more emotional when you have to come back and play again. It's a, it's a very interesting dilemma to be in. But the Cubs have been playing rather well with the ever-existing presence of Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ. Happ has been playing very well defensively. Contreras has already hit over two home runs. It, it, it's It's good to see that continuing. And I say that for all the other former Cubs, like Anthony Rizzo and sometimes Javier Baez, and now Chris Bryan. He, you know, recently last month hit his first ever home run as a Rocky. So it's just those things are nice. And Schwarber, of course, we all know what Schwarber's up to. He's like second most in home run totals so far this season. It's something nice to see from a Cubs perspective and how the... I think what really does get to me in that is not really from the front office standpoint, really from more the developmental standpoint of players. And it's nice to see the immediacy of effect taken by prospects when they're developed by the Cubs system. You saw that with Schwarber. You saw that with Bryant. And, of course, Baez and Soler at the time, too. Jorge Soler, who is now one of the best players still in the league in terms of power. So, you... you, you think about how much the Cubs' prospect system and the way that players are developed. There's something to it. And you think about players that the Cubs have now, and Christopher Morrell, even though he went on a over-24 stint recently. You know, this is what happens as a rookie. You have to experience the downs to understand how to continually get better and be consistent. So... That's why I'm really happy that Wilson Contreras wasn't traded, too. Because I think the hardest position that the Cubs have had to develop in any position was a catcher. So if you do extend Wilson, which you should, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Because you understand how good Wilson is on a consistent basis. He is your most, I'd say... trusted person at that position knowing that his relationship with the pitchers and the way he has helped them even work on their pitching every pitcher doesn't mind working with Wilson Contreras from what I've seen I don't know that for a fact but uh, I I think that Wilson was originally brought up as an infielder so this is like finding his position and working it naturally he's a natural baseball player so that's why I'm glad we've kept him in the Cubs organization. I'm saying we, as around in the fan base, but from the Cubs standpoint, I think that they need to understand the value of Wilson Contreras and and do give him an extension uh, worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if need be. He might be asking for 150, from what I I, I am seeing, but Wilson is going to be a highly taunted player regardless of what happens in the offseason. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing how that progresses. But at at the time being, the Cubs are not a contending team. We know that. It's not like we have to worry about pushing for playoffs. It's about developing these players. And that's the point. So it's nice to see when players... I see players do good... But and all the fans are like, yeah, now he's trade bait. Well, not everyone's supposed to be like that. So some somehow, some way, a lineup's got to be for him. David Ross, is half, as manager, ha- really needs to keep control of his lineup. And is he really the long-term coach that the Cubs need is the big million-dollar question uh, in the next couple years at least when you start developing these players. But even that, Ross is still a very young coach, so you never know. He could last three years, he could last five years. Heck, he could last 20 years if all goes maybe in his direction. We've seen coaches coach for a very long time for teams. So, who knows? Uh, The future for this Cubs team is kind of on the balance of Developing these players and making the right moves on the market to acquire strong players. And you, you have to spend money, Ricketts. You gotta. If you're not gonna if you're not gonna buy Chelsea FC, you might as well get some better players. <laughs> Veteran players that are are still available. I honestly thought low-key one of the worst moves the Cubs recently did not do was keeping Nick Castellanos. Man, he's one of my favorite players in the league because of his abilities, and the Cubs let him go. They had him. He liked playing for Chicago from what I was seeing. And then he went off to Cincinnati, which is fine, because Cincinnati was also fun to play with for him, apparently. But, like, that, that was a move that I thought was like, okay, you have to understand that these are the kind of guys you might want. Um... But even then, there's other players around. You know, there's a. there's gonna be a very hot free agent class coming up. I'm gonna have a fun winter talking about baseball here on Monday Man of Sports Talk. It is going to be awesome. So, uh, with the Cubs, uh, in conclusion, you know, there. I think for the first time since 2014, if I am correct, the Cubs have been last place. In the National League Central. They were, I think they're in the mix be- with Cincinnati and then almost Pittsburgh. And then the only two in contention for the NL Central is the Cardinals and Milwaukee Brewers. And that's something that I like to see without having the Cubs in the mix because I'm not as stressed out. I get to appreciate the players in the, on the Cardinals and Brewers a bit more. More so the Cardinals. I'm kind of rooting for the Cardinals this season than the NL Central. Joseph um, um, uh, Yadier Molina, and, and of course Albert Pujols, and I don't know, I, I I'm not against it, but they're one game in front, fifty nine and forty eight, as of Sunday afternoon, and fifty eight and forty nine with the Milwaukee Brewers one game behind, so that could change as you are listening to this here currently. Uh, And the Cubs and (laughs) Reds, oh my god, Uh, the Cubs, Reds, Pittsburgh Pirates, and all have a 43 or 44 win record. Who else has that same amount? Uh, The Washington Nationals is the only worse team than any of those three at 36 wins in the National League East, but that is a very tough division. With the Atlanta Braves and New York Mets vying for a spot. But the Mets still pulling away. They're five and a half games back as of Sunday. So uh, that is something that we can keep an eye on. So that's uh, short but sweet here for the National League side of things. We go to the West and look at the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have the best record of baseball. 74 wins and 33 losses. They're at a 69% win ratio. It's something that... If you stay consistent throughout the season, hit up to 70 and don't look back. That's a World Series-winning team right there. That was what was the Cubs and then what I saw them in 2016. Uh, they got a consistent lineup, but the San Diego Padres, as mentioned, with what they did, it's hard to believe that with the lineup that they have now on paper, that they are 14 and a half games back of the NL West. So it's very it's, it's very interesting to see how things kind of unfold with the wild card in the National League. It's got the Braves, Phillies even in it, and then whoever is losing in the NL Central between the Brewers and Cardinals are in it. And then the Giants aren't really, that don't seem like much of a threat right now. But, uh, yeah, it's just... Those are the teams vying in the National League. Now, let's look at the other side of Chicago. The south side, the good old White Sox. Now, they're in more interesting, and still they still have time to recover this season. And that's been the entire season in a nutshell for this White Sox team. A White Sox team that was literally... Clueless at the trade deadline on August second, and I was as much as I was thinking about Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ, I was also thinking about what is the White Sox doing? Are they going to pull a move out here in the final two hours? And when I real when I first realized what the Cubs didn't do, I realized also what the White Sox didn't do. And it wasn't much. They didn't trade for anything. I I, I just can't believe they didn't make a move. Maybe if just for let's let's look over what the White Sox did for trading. I know they did it for something like an outfielder or insurance in pitching. I don't know. I don't know what. i I think their problems go beyond the trade deadline at this point with the coaching and their issues, and the team's running. I mean, I I think the worst attribute on the White Sox is is the running. Base running is key when you want to play ball that goes beyond just hitting into the gap or hitting home runs. You got to know how to run, especially in the postseason. But the White Sox didn't want... To make this kind of trade, they trust it with the players they have, and they still have a chance at the NL. Uh, not the NL, the AL Central. Come on, White Sox. Like, the, they could do this, but it's just when you have a manager at the helm that is maybe not as trusted as what he once used to be. It, it's it's his que- I mean, we've been questioning his decisions all year. So it doesn't surprise me that a cameraman picked up him dozing off in the clubhouse. Everyone's blaming that cameraman. Oh, it was the cameraman's fault. Like, he was was just as well doing his job as well as Tony Larissa wasn't doing his job in the bottom of the first inning. So don't tell me the cameraman didn't do his job. Anyways, the White Sox, you have to question at some point. What is their will to win like what what is their angle with the season in a season that had high hopes for them it, it was a season of building off of what was last year and a solid course to an AL Central title and this year it's just I mean the entire AL Central as a whole is just, you know, none of them have decided kind of what position they are because, it really is any uh any any team's ball game. Twins, Guardians and White Sox. That's it. White Sox three games back, Guardians a game and a half back, and the twins in front. And I think it's up to the Twins who have really been in front all season how much they are capable of making the playoffs. They do. I think the Twins are in indeed Deserving of that number one spot right now. This is overall from what I've seen of them playing, and the Guardians also have deserved their uh, their place in the division, being that they've had really clutch moments all season, and especially at the White Sox this uh, dispense. But the Twins team has also stayed in, and that's actually what's really been making this AL Central a bit more interesting. And even that, you've seen some fun uh, happenings with the Royals and Tigers at some points this season. Tigers have had Miggy do Miggy things and Javier Baez's first full year at, other than a Cub, which it does, <laughs> doesn't seem like it's working out as much for him. But at the end of the day, that's kind of the White Sox decision right now. Is this the season to contend with one game above 500 as of Sunday. And I think they're about to win. So, uh, and they should be a game and a half back of the guardians regardless. So who, who, who knows what, what it's going to be like in two weeks, a month. And then by the end of the season in September, September is going to be a crazy month of baseball. And I'm calling it right now. Cause if you look at the rest of these standings, it is very, very convincing that with the wild card opportunities, especially with this new playoff format, people are, I feel like, forgetting that we've got a new playoff format. We've got three wild card teams going in. So, this wild card race has a lot of potential to it come September. And it's going to be very interesting because any team. Especially the San Diego Padres. They've become the most interesting wild card team out of the National League uh, side of things. And you look at the Na- American League, the Astros and Yankees seem to be all out in front, but it's a very interesting mix of the Orioles, the Rays, and the Blue Jays. Uh, see, like, who, who would have thought the Orioles could be in the mix? And then the Mariners are in the mix as well. And that's really it from the AL West. And that's what makes the Orioles case more interesting. Is that the AL Central is also not performing. The Orioles have, are four games above 500 as of Sunday. And compared to the rest of the AL Central, they would have been a game and a half back of winning that division. That's nuts. In a division in the AL East that they've survived in. And have performed well up, up against the Yankees. the One of the best teams in the league right now. So, it's a very interesting side of things in the American League, and uh, I think overall, as time moves on, it's going to be a very interesting September. But the Cubs' chances, they're gone. We don't have to worry about them right now. I'm just trying to sit back and enjoy the rest of, of the league, fight it out, and with the White Sox. That's something to root for in Chicago right now. They still have a chance, folks, so... The point I'm trying to make, you know, I'm, I'm going to mention a couple of other teams here in Chicago. I already mentioned the Sky, and I'm about to mention the Fire in the upcoming segment that's going to happen in just a minute here. and the fact that these teams have chances, I think the Chicago Fire and Chicago White Sox are like dead even in chance opportunities to reach in the postseason. Um, I think the White Sox can do it. If anything, they'll they'll do the wild card. They have just as much of a chance to win their division as to make the wild card, which is, makes it even more crazy. Um, but even that, it's going to be a good Chicago season of sports. I'm feeling I feel like people are underestimating because the Bulls are about to play. and I'll, I'll talk about them a little bit maybe later in the show if I have time. Um, but even that, like... You got the fire in the mix. The sky might be very good in this uh, WNBA playoffs. Blackhawks, the hockey, we had our fun. Now let's just like (laughs) enjoy cheap tickets for a little bit. That's all I'm going to say about them. Um, But yeah, that is that for baseball. That's all I got to say on it. That's the update. Now let's go into the mix of things. With the final segment, I'm going to talk Chicago Fire, a little bit of Premier League. Because it's just starting to see, just maybe do a little bit of projections. Uh, and then we'll talk some, maybe some basketball, but I do also want to get into a little bit of UFC. And that's really it all and all I got for you guys today. I know that the Jake Paul fight got canceled on Saturday night, which was funny. Uh, that got canceled on July 31st, if I'm correct. So I wish I, I, I wish I could have been able to talk about that today, but that is even a story within itself. So oh, I might get into that as well next segment here on the two hundred and thirty fourth edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Here we go once again with the madness here on August eighth, talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond bringing me here is all the way up from Glazy and it is time to give credit to where credit is due. Now I've already done it with the Chicago Sky but there is another Chicago team that just so happens to have a chance and that team is the Chicago Fire Football Club of the beautiful Windy City. Now, let me tell you this. It's been a few tough years for playoff appearances in Chicago Fire history. Now, you look back all the way to 2017 when they had a record of 16 11 and 7. And lost in the first round. But then you go all the way back to 2012 before that. And they lost in the first round again. And then you go all the way back. just a couple more years. Where three years in a row from 2007 to 2009. The Chicago Fire Football Club lost in the conference finals. And then the semifinals in 2006. And the last time the the fire in the MLS Cup was in 2003 when they lost. And then they won the MLS Cup in their first inaugural year of 1998. So you, look, you consider this history of just after that, you know, not a whole lot other than a couple of MLS Cup appearances. They lost twice in that and then haven't been there since, since 2003. So I think overall you look at a team like they have now, does it stack up with the rest of the league? And is it worth investing our energy in hoping that this Chicago Fire team can make the playoffs? Well, I said at the beginning of the year they're you know, they have the resources It's about sticking together. I think the most cohesive sport you have to play, and chemistry makes the most of a difference, is that of soccer, what all y'all call football. I'm not the American type. But now you kind of look at the MLS as a whole, it becomes this uh, kind of retirement home, you may say, for prominent European football players most recently, Gareth Bale, who has just been popping off with LAFC, there's this goal he just scored from the right wing and blew three defenders on the short side, squeezed through like it was nothing, and scored a goal. Like it, it, it's You're buying goals at that point. Sometimes. But I think recently, and I think it's going to become on an exponential level as more players come to be, that the MLS is going to become a more talented league. And it already has that. And I, I see a lot of games to be like, yeah, this is a pretty talented group of guys. Not just games in the MLS, but games in Europe I watch. And when we get into English Premier League here in a couple of minutes, we'll get more into that. But in terms of right now and what we see here in Chicago, in the Chicago Fire, they are 100% something to root for. And... Being that said, it's going to be a pretty hard road to get to the playoffs in front of other teams that are just as well vying for that position. Now, if you look at what their results have been of late, they're on a tear, and they can light it up as much as they can with, let's see here, 10 games left in the season. If I'm correct, Chicago fire right now with 24 games played is 30 points. They are in a playoff position due to their goals differential. They're at a minus three in that department. Uh, and then you got behind them, Orlando City, Inter-Miami, New England, Charlotte, in which they just beat in their biggest win of the season, three to two on Saturday. In Charlotte against the newer club that has the newest club in the Eastern Conference, and then you got below that Atlanta United, Toronto, and DC United. So it's a very good pool of of, of teams. That DC United is last place, and they got twenty two points. Three points is a win. One points it's uh, uh, is a draw. So the Fire just need to keep playing the way they're playing. And it's up to them if they want to make it the playoffs, not other teams around them. Because if they play good, they're going to beat the other teams around them. That's as simple as, as that. It's, it's literally science. It's not even science. You just got to win these games. And so when I'm looking at the schedule now, Chicago Fire have a game against Philadelphia Union in Philadelphia on Saturday. And then next Sunday, they're playing the reigning MLS Cup champions, New York City, uh it's gonna be a good game. That's a five o'clock game on a Sunday. It's gonna be a good one. Uh so looking forward to that. And then they're playing host again to Montreal. These are games that they can win. And if they beat teams that they're supposed to beat that they could see in the in the playoffs, potentially, they will be in a good spot. You know, Jared and Security it started off the season a little slow in terms of maybe expectations for him, but he's getting his footing in. Some players have to do that in the MLS. That's that's. I think that's a good way to to say that the MLS talent is growing based on players that do come from Europe and do have a hard time fitting in sometimes. And so I really like that Wayne Rooney is now a coach, and now like he's gonna be bringing that European mindset, and not not even that kind of mindset, just of a refreshed mindset for MLS players moving forward. And that's really good to see here in the United States, especially for United States soccer, who are about to embark on a World Cup journey this uh, this winter. I, it's going to be very fun to watch. And that's why I'm really excited about soccer right now. I think you're going to hear some more soccer out of me in the next couple months leading up to that World Cup. It is going to be incredible. Um, I might have to wake up early in the morning to watch some of these games, but when I do that for English Premier League, it, it's worth it, even for that, and I love it. It's the culture that's built behind the culture of the game, and the game that is uh, world-renowned, the world sport, if you may say, needs to grow here in the United States. And when I see teams like the Chicago Fire in their development, you see Gabriel Solnina signing for Chelsea, and he's going to probably end up becoming in the next couple years their starting goalkeeper. And guess where he grew up? Addison, Illinois. And this is the kind of kid that is homegrown. He has chosen even from his Polish ancestry to even play for the United States national team. So that's why I've loved to see his growth I've loved seeing his development as a goalkeeper, as a very young goalkeeper. He's he's eighteen. Like this kid is 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 just like has so much room and potential that like I just said, two years he could be starting for Chelsea at twenty one. Imagine the kind of career that kid can have. So, and then you know Shabilko of the uh, of the Fire has been playing great. He scored two goals. Um, I do like uh, Navarro he, he's he got such a good touch in the midfield it, it's you got you got a good mix of speed defense balance this is something that I think coach Ezra of the Chicago Fire does um, well is keep his guys together um, but at the same time you know there's still a lot to learn about this team and in their formations they're always growing I mean this dude um, what's his Mueller He's also a Chicago-area-born guy, and his footwork is second to none. This is footwork that you'll see down the line as top-tier football. So I'm really enjoying this Chicago Fire team right now as I read you off the results of late. Not to mention they beat the Seattle Sounders on July 16th, 1-0, with a clean sheet But also the Vancouver Whitecaps. And also they tied with Atlanta United, which is fine. And then beating Charlotte. So it's been since July 9th that the Fire has lost. And that was against Columbus Crews. So seven, I'm sorry, it's five straight games. Chicago Fire has not lost a point. They are consistently staying up there. They are at one point last in the division. And now with 10 games left in the season. They have a chance at even being top five. So hold your hats, Chicago. This is another team that is in the vicinity of success in the Chicago Fire. That's all I got to say about them. That's it. My spiel is done. Zippity zappity zoop. Let's see how they do against New York City, Philadelphia coming up this weekend, and Montreal. This is a big. 10 games, folks, and I'm all in for it. Let's do it, fire. All right. Moving on to the other side of the pond. In Premier League, it just started. Just when he thought it ended, it starts up again. In Premier League, English soccer. My favorite form of soccer or football that you'll ever see in your life. Um... And then I think next tier is I really like South American football. And then I really like, like, in terms of style, I don't know, man. I might have to get back to you on that. Um, But let's talk about match day one of the 38. Right. I mean, you can't really talk standings. It's one game in. And you just got to look at the, in terms of projections, I look at the table. I really have a feeling that Tottenham is going to have a good season. If I'm going to put my money on anyone, I think Tottenham has a a window to break out, especially the way they ended they ended up last season. Um I don't foresee Arsenal as much, but they had a good game the other day, and I'm not going to count them out. It, it was a good showing. And that was against a pretty solid team in Crystal Palace. So, I'm obviously going to keep Manchester City in my top three throughout. Chelsea, of course, is up there. But Manchester United is and Liverpool, even, is the biggest questions. Because Liverpool has shown that they can be champions, but they haven't really kept it up. It, it hasn't... I don't know. Something about Liverpool just doesn't like hasn't really always seemed like a championship team. They have cal- those top caliber players, you know. You the the first guy you think of is Salah, but it he he he's got and amongst with the other players, it, it's got to be a more consistent basis. I don't know, man. I really got to start watching more Premier League games in the season to kind of figure out who's the top, the crop but i'm really do pulling my leg for Tottenham this season and then maybe some of your lower tier teams could make a top 7 top 6 and even maybe a champions league bid and it could be it could very well be a team that we don't expect so i'm not going to count anyone out just yet i mean i'm more than likely going to count out manchester united they're my team but after last year I don't know what the chemistry is like. I mean, I talk about Ronaldo, like, what, what's his future like? Messi was even considering going to Inter-Miami in in the MLS. Like, some players even want to just move to the United States, not even just playing there, but moving there. Um, I, You talk about those two guys, and I know it's like the most mainstream conversation of what's happening to them, but at the same time, it's big, because before you know it, they're just not going to be playing anymore. Soccer lifespans aren't the longest unless you're like a goalkeeper or you know have insane body conditioning. I don't know, but anyways, that's really it. Those are the teams I'm pulling for. Those are my projections. If I'm gonna say top five, who's making it to the Champions League? I'm putting I'm putting Manchester City, uh, Tottenham, Chelsea. I'm gonna I'm gonna might, might want to squeeze Arsenal in there. Um, in Liverpool, definitely that's my top five. Unless Manchester United can say something, or even Leicester City for that matter, say something about that. But um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at for soccer. I'm glad to also even talk about United States national team. Uh, we're gonna be keep building up until then. Uh, but that includes women's soccer and men's soccer. But the men's soccer, of course, is the focus, being that we are about three to four months away from a World Cup, and uh, it's gonna get really really tense, really quick for international soccer, and uh, I'm here to prepare you for that, so look forward in the coming months for me to continuously, exponentially start talking about soccer more, because it's going to be a potent issue. Um, Not an issue, but an interest, if you may say. So moving on from soccer, let's go into the world of... Hmm, let's think here. The world of punching and kicking and I don't know. Slap, no slapping involved, but takedowns? I don't know. Going into the world of mixed martial arts, folks. That's what it's all about here on the 240, 30 What? Noah? It's the 234th edition of Monday Mana Sports Talk. So um, we had some events recently, and we don't have a significant event, but there is some events to talk about in the coming weeks and months to foresee. Let's, before that, let's take a, a, a week or two back in time and talk about UFC 277. Get that off my mind. I do only want to talk about a couple fights, and they're nothing too big. Um, that was very interesting, what happened to Derek Lewis. He got knocked out by Sergei Pavlovich. And, yeah, I... Uh, That was just, that came out of nowhere. I thought Derek, by the way, that call by, I think it was her, um, Dan Mergliata, I think, was uh, refereeing that fight. And Derek Lewis was getting back up after being knocked down by Pavlovich, and it was called early. I was like, bro, what's, what's going on? And, yeah, so Derek Lewis got knocked out. I lost a bet on him. Wasn't happy about it. But we move on. And we moved on to uh, what was, I thought, the fight of the night in Brandon Moreno and Kai Kyra Frantz. Uh It was a fourth round, basically TKO to the liver. Uh, Brandon Moreno took a left toe kick out. I mean, I don't really say a toe kick. It was just a left front kick to the liver area of Kyra France. It was something that I saw in the moment, and then I just heard it. I heard that slap. That that It sounded like this. It was that. And I knew that it hit something, and then chirochrofrance took a second to react because uh, that pain kind of has to rush up to the brain, and it takes, like, that kind of second because the liver responds differently than other organs in your body. So, like, once you get that kick to it, it takes a second for that signal to reach the brain. So chirochrofrance, like, froze, and he's like, clenched his side and went down. And that was it. Moreno threw in a couple headshots, shots, and, and that was it. But it, 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 cap, it encapsulated what it was, a very good fight between the two. So uh, I was just very happy to see it. Um, Juliana Pena was uh, attempting, let's say, to defend her title against, I would say, one of the best women's athletes of all time. And Amanda Nunez, uh, who came back to retrieve her double champion status, the bandweight and now featherweight title. Uh, So this is a very, very interesting situation where Juliana Pena, could she have had repeated that, let's say, performance that she had when she had previously won by decision against Amanda Nunez. And that fight was at UFC 269 at, uh, on December 11th. Um, but now it's 1-1. So, I am I mean, Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunez, the only thing that Pena proved in that fight is that she's worthy of a third fight. She, she's thought for almost 50, practically 50 minutes, yeah, 50 minutes, two five-round fights. Um, she spent 50 minutes in the octagon with Amanda, and why not a third? Why not 75 minutes? So, she's deserved it. I mean, she's really the only significant fighter in the women's bantamweight division that I think still deserves a title shot. And why not be a third fight? It's 1-1. One, one. Gotta be best of three. And if Pena would have won that fight. It would have been two nothing, Dunzo. Uh, but I didn't foresee that happening. I we knew that Amanda Nunez it, and Pena said it herself. I think at one point she's like, "Yeah, that was just my night, and it wasn't Amanda's night." Amanda said it herself. That wasn't my night, and it was her night uh, on, on on July thirtieth. And what was interesting about that too was the fact that Amanda was. Really, actually, in this fight the, the entire time with Juliana Pena, Pena was still interacting. She was engaging with uh, the blows that Amanda was, was dishing out, and also she stayed within the fight. It's something that really no other opponent in Amanda's career has matched that. So you have to appreciate what Pena has done to Nunez in those two fights, and that's why this deserves a third fight. Now, Looking forward in the UFC landscape. Uh, we already saw recently what was a great fight between Tiago Santos and Jamahal Hill, which ended in a Hill knockout on UFC Fight Night. Uh, UFC and ESPN, per se. Uh, and you also saw Jeff Neal knock out Vicente Luque. That's a big welterweight fight right there. And then also some... Um, so the ultimate fighter finale fights uh, a heavyweight bash down on behalf of Muhammad Usman and if you didn't see this highlight he knocked out this dude his name is Zach Paga I've n- yeah I've never heard of him and I've also never really heard of Maha- M- Muhammad Usman who uh, is also cornered by now welterweight champion Kamar Usman This dude comes out of nowhere with a left hand just pokes the dude in the face and knocks him out like I have never th- seen anything like that. And plus, I saw this dude's 236 pounds. If you have that much body fat or enough weight to lose, and you go down to 205 and lightweight, think how much this guy can destroy lightweights right now in the UFC. Just go out, look at that fight, look up Mohamed Usman, and you'll see how much of a beast this dude is. Um, and then you saw another women's flyweight, I, I, uh, Juliana Miller and Brogan Walker. I think that was a tough finale as well. Uh, But that was really it for that fight card upcoming we got uh, on August 13th. This is a bit away, but could be a good fight. Dominic Cruz at Bantamweight trying to make his way back up uh, from the broadcasting table to fight Marlon Vera. Uh, I think he's called a Vera fight before. If I'm not mistaken, it could have been the O'Malley fight. Uh, But that's a fight right there nonetheless, and Marlon Vera, I think, has got the hand in this fight. But that's only in a couple weeks. Um, Actually, no, that's a week from... I said, that's that's on Saturday. I gotta get my dates corrected. I just still can't believe it's August. Um but yeah, that's really the only fight in that. And then we get to UFC 278 in what is gonna be the welterweight championship of the world. Kamar Usman facing Leon Edwards in Salt Lake City at the Vivant Smart Home Arena. It actually there's a really nice arena. I've been around it. Very cool area. Uh but a little dry. A little dry. Anyways, uh, we got a middleweight, Paulo Costa, and Luke Rockhold. That was that was that's been canceled a couple times. So uh, let's just you know, this is this is gonna happen on the twentieth. This is a week from Saturday. Uh, we got a really, this is a really big fight night. And then my favorite fight on the card personally is Jose Aldo fighting Marab Devalishvili And one of my favorite fighters in all the UFC is Devalishvili uh, he's one of my favorite characters, he's so eccentric, he's got great skills, both on the feet and grappling, I, 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 do like watching him fight over and over again, he, he's, he's a one of a kind, in my opinion, that's why I got him over Jose Aldo, and, Al- Aldo, Aldo is, um, he, I'll talk about this fight maybe more in the next couple weeks, I don't know when the next, I think the next Monday Madness Sports Talk episode is after that. So I might as well just talk about this card because Jose Aldo I I mean, his track record of late he's beaten Pedro Munoz and Rob Font. So he is on the come up. These are big wins. But in 2020 it was kind of a little bit a mix of 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 both. You know, he lost to Peter Yan, that was kind of a given. Then he, but he did beat Marlon Vera, which he is fighting this upcoming Saturday night. So two straight very interesting fights uh, for the ben Wade division. He's lost to Marlon Marias, Alexander Volkanovski, and he's beaten uh, Ronaldo Moicano. So Davalishvili and Jose Aldo. This could very well be the fight of the night next Saturday night. So that's kind of the one I'm really looking at, and that's what I, I'm purposely glued to the TV. I could care less about the Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold fight. Give me that Devoschvili and Aldo fight. I really want to see that happen. Um, heck, like I'm pulling for Devoschvili uh, by miles. Uh, and then you got heavyweight Marcin Debura and Alexander Romanov. Yeah. Uh, eh. And they got Light Heavyweight. Tyson Pedro has never heard of this guy's name. And then you got this guy named Harry Hunsucker. I'm gonna say that again. Harry Hunsucker. Never heard of the guy, but I'm rooting for him because of his name. Uh and then a prelim card, which I see there's a couple fights that could just very well be in the main card, but let's see here. Leandro Santos and Jared Gordon. Even that, like, what is this fight card? Is there supposed to be more fights to be scheduled? I don't know, man. Uh, I will heavily appreciate, however, the final three fights of that fight card uh, just because of the names. Because uh, I'm looking at the main card, and Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, that's the obvious main event. Where, uh, But I do believe Usman's going to retain the title. Uh, but Leon Edwards, man, he hasn't doesn't he fight very often. I mean, you look at his track record as well. Google just showed me an error screen. What's going on, Google? Google. All right, I got it. Uh, he has fought Nate Diaz most recently. That was last year, beating him by decision. And that fight was canceled on a couple of occasions. But that was the, one of the worst endings in a fight ever. So I'm not going to talk about it. Um, I don't know, man. I, I did, It was an all right fight. Um, and then he was supposed to fight Jorge Masvidal. That got canceled. Look at the... In twenty twenty also is just like not much to look at. So I'm waiting well, not much to look at because Google's like showing me error screens. Whatever, man. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with my Wi Fi. That's an error. Anyways, I'm gonna go cold turkey here. That's really it for UFC, man. And I might as well just go cold turkey the rest of the show. Um let's use my phone, but you know what? You know just, you know screw it. I'm going to do this. I honestly believe, honestly, that Leon Edwards is going to be the toughest opponent for Kamaru Usman. He's got so much time to study Kamaru. He, he has known that this fight was going to happen, and the amount of times he's probably mentally prepared for this fight is going to outweigh those chances that are going to be given in favor of Kamaru Usman. So, it's going to be a good fight. I'm excited. So, we'll see what happens next week, and I'll hopefully be ready in time to talk about it when the time comes. But that is that for UFC. The last thing I'd want to talk about tonight um, is ESPN8, the Ocho. I uh, actually found the time this year to watch a full, almost a full day of Ocho. Now, I was actually not originally planning on that because I was supposed to go to Des to work in the office, But I ended up working remotely, so I was able to still work perfectly fine and have ESPN 8 The Ocho on the background, and I'm here to talk all about it. Now, actually, in the weeks prior, I watched Dodgeball, one of the the best underdog stories and best stories of sports of all time, is that ESPN 8 the Ocho days are so under uh, appreciated sometimes. I loved watching that coverage. It's just different broadcasts of different weird sports. I saw the best one, I thought, was Slippery Stairs, where these contestants... I don't know why they were all... The contestants were all, like, from, like, South Carolina State. It was weird. It's like, these guys from uh one of their fr- uh, fraternities. Just, like, from the same fraternity, I think, all competing in the same competition. Like, I... <laughs> Get some, like, professional athletes out there to do this stuff. This is hilarious. But, yes, prone to injury. These stairs are, like, wooden on the bottom. And then there's, like, rubber casing on top that is padded. And then during the competition, people are on the top of the staircase throwing lube down the staircase. And these guys have to run up them. And it's first top three make it to the championship rounds. It's it's nuts. Um, and then I saw, this one was fun, I, I was watching the the bench press, uh, the benching was, dudes are averaging a, no no less than 1,000 pounds, I, no one attempted less than 1,000, and this dude has like the world's record for 1,300 pounds, I think it's like 1,382 if I'm correct, or 62, either way, that is nearly two tons, it's like more than halfway to, to, to a tonne um which is nuts you can't bench that much if you can bench that much uh, i can't imagine how much you deadlift or whatnot i don't know but that's all in the chest and the legs um but that was fun to watch and then i did watch some dodgeball there was some dodgeball on and i also really enjoyed the corgi races i do actually end up watching that every year on, on highlight reels um there's eight heats of like 10 different dogs top eight go to the finals of each well so the winner of each heat goes to the finals, and it's top eight from there. So that's how the corgi races work. It's fun. They're cute, and they are fast little guys, fast little doggos, or I'm what you say, fast little good boys, and girls of course. Uh, so I just dropped my pen. Uh, that is uh another one I saw. What what was it that I saw earlier? In the- I saw this game called Omega Ball. It's like it's like soccer, but there's three teams of protecting three different nets. Crazy stuff, right there. I don't know, man. I'm definitely gonna forget something that I definitely liked, and because I was so busy during that day, just like doing work, of course. But like, I still had fun watching the games. Like, what else did I watch? Anyways, I did watch the air hockey, and there was table hockey as well. I know that, but that was really it for ESPN8 the Ocho. Like, it's just fun. Independent coverage on weird sports. I just had a fun time watching and uh, can't get enough of that kind of stuff. But anyways, uh, I can't get enough of Monday Madness sports talk sometimes. That's why, you know what? It's madness, if you may say. And it has indeed been a whole heap of madness here on the uh, 234th edition of monday august 8th 2022 i almost said one because i just you know i've been talking a long time my juices or my journalism juices from earlier are running low uh and i have been doing journalism all day so it's time to close the book tonight on the sports talk but thank you so much for tuning in it has been the 234th edition of Monday Madness for our Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care, guys.